This is Incomplete Design History, a podcast that explores overlooked and ignored topics in graphic design history. It is our goal to deepen and expand the knowledge, understanding, and interpretation of design history. Because history is messy. It's incomplete. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Mandy Horton. This season of Incomplete Design History will focus on women of graphic design history. Go to literally any social media platform and you'll find hundreds, if not thousands, of people looking for attention. They're laser-focused on more likes, more comments, more followers, and more eyes on what they're producing. Anymore, it seems like to get any notice at all, it's the game you have to play. Tomoko Miho, the subject of today's episode, took a decidedly different approach. Granted, this was long before Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but she was never driven by a desire to have her name recognized, and she was always reluctant to speak out openly about herself. And yet her contemporaries knew who she was and knew her work when they saw it. In other words, she made a name for herself while trying not to make a name for herself. Tomoko Miho was born Tomoko Kawakami in Los Angeles, California in 1931. The Kawakami family ran a flower business, and there the seeds for Tomoko's career in graphic design were first planted. She learned her first design concepts from flower arranging and gardening, seeing how they use shape, form, and harmony to achieve something beautiful. Then in 1942, when Tomoko would have been around nine, President Franklin D. Roosevelt issued Executive Order 9066, giving the Secretary of War the authority to detain possible threats to the United States without evidence or trial. The Gila River War Relocation Center was located on the Gila River Indian Reservation. The Pima Indian government had been given sovereignty over the reservation in 1939 and objected to an internment camp being built on their sacred lands. These objections were ignored, and within months, an internment camp was built. At its peak, the Gila Relocation Center had a population of 13,348 Japanese and Japanese Americans at the camp. The Relocation Center was the fourth biggest city in Arizona at the time, and internees were crammed into only 2.4 square miles. To put that into perspective, with 5,561 people per square mile, the Gila Relocation Center had a higher population density than current-day Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Even for an internment camp, this was too much. It was overcrowded, having been designed to only hold 10,000 inmates. Each barrack was 20 feet by 100 feet, which was divided into four single-family apartments, meaning that each family had 500 square feet of living space. Families were forced to create makeshift living arrangements in mess halls and latrines using blankets for walls. Since this was right in the Arizona desert, there was chronic water shortages and the temperatures regularly reached above 100 degrees, going as high as 125 degrees Fahrenheit. The Gila Center Infirmary was often very busy as Japanese physicians struggled to maintain health care despite constant malnourishments and unsanitary conditions not to mention stings and bites from local scorpions and snakes. The War Relocation Authority recorded 1,862 deaths across 10 camps. Cancer, heart disease, tuberculosis, and vascular disease accounted for the majority of these deaths, no doubt exacerbated by camp conditions. 
The Kawakami family spent three years there, and while they survived this trauma, we know very little about their experience. In fact, it's very hard to find first-hand accounts of internment, much less by a specific family. Actor George Takai, also an internment camp survivor, wrote in his graphic memoir, They Called Us Enemy. Most Japanese Americans did not like to talk about internment. As with many traumatic experiences, they were anguished by their memories and haunted by the shame for something that wasn't their fault. When asked about it for an interview with the Hall of Femmes, Tomoko simply stated, those were difficult times, but we came out well in the end. After their interment, Tomoko's family relocated to Minneapolis, Minnesota. There, the seeds for her future career planted years earlier would take root and begin to grow. Tomoko received a summer scholarship from the Minneapolis School of Art, where she took classes in advertising and graphic design. She would go on to receive a full scholarship to the Art Center School in Los Angeles, where she learned hand lettering, structural design, drawing, graphic design, and art history. Tomoko graduated from the Art Center School in 1958 with a degree in industrial design. It was around this time that she met James Miho, whom she would marry. Tomoko and James moved to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Tomoko worked as a freelance graphic designer while James took his first job designing ad campaigns for NWA, a firm recognized as being the first modern advertising agency. James was then transferred to Detroit, where Tomoko worked as a package design for Harley Earl Associates, an automotive design consultancy that proved instrumental in the careers of many female designers. So here's a little sidebar on Harley Earl. Before starting his own firm, Harley Earl was the head of the design department, which was then called Art and Color, at General Motors. Earl started hiring female designers beginning in the 1940s, and by the 1950s, there were several women working for him, enough that this group of women became known as the Damsels of Design. The idea behind employing female designers was so that the base of car buyers could be expanded, to include women by designing cars and ads that would appeal to female customers specifically. Many of these women would go on to start their own successful businesses after gaining experience and a reputation while working at GM. The Damsels of Design was short-lived. Earl retired from GM in 1958, and his successor was not fond of female designers. And even though Miho went to work for Harley Earl after Earl retired, he is considered instrumental to bringing women into a male-dominated industrial design world and is touted as an advocate for women's rights. In 1960, James and Tomoko took a six-month tour of Europe that was both for business and leisure. During this period, they met several notable designers, including Giovanni Pittori, who is known for his advertising work for the Olivetti Company, Olympic painter Hans Ernie, Joseph Mueller Brockman, who is a founding editor of the New Graphic Design Journal, influential sculptor Tapio Workola, and Armi Ratia, a female entrepreneur and co-founder of Mary Miko Oi Textile Company. Tomoko would speak of the trip as an important influence, saying how traveling through Europe opened my eyes to design work that was both freer and more structured than we learned at the art center. Following their trip to Europe, Tomoko joined George Nelson and Company, where she handled graphic design for the furniture company Herman Miller, which was George Nelson's main account. While she had a range of projects, it was her work on the Herman Miller catalog that left a permanent impression on the look and function of furniture catalogs. 
she broke with the usual format and turned Herman Miller's catalog into almost a fashion magazine for stylish modern furniture. While she had a range of projects, it was her work on the Herman Miller catalog that left a permanent impression on the look and function of furniture catalogs. She broke with the usual format and turned Herman Miller's catalog into almost a fashion magazine for stylish modern furniture. In 1974, James and Tomoko opened Miho Associates. At Miho, the pair worked on corporate identities, book and brochure design, office environments, and architectural signage. As is historically common with husband and wife teams, her presence seems overshadowed by James. We see this all throughout design history with couples like Charles and Ray Eames or Leila and Massimo Vignelli. Charles and Ray Eames collaborated for decades, revolutionizing furniture design. Ray received little or no recognition for her contribution while Charles remained the public face of their firm. Leila Vignelli played a key role in their firm's success, but she and Massimo often had to fight for her to receive public recognition for her work. And it seemed to be the same story for Tomoko and James. What information there is on James often fails to even mention Tomoko. Notably, while both were given AIGA medalist exposés, Tomoko's has several lines about James and their work together, while James doesn't even mention Tomoko. While we don't know the fine details of their life or work, Tomoko and James appeared genuinely to enjoy working together, and despite outward appearances of happiness, they drifted apart and divorced in 1982. That same year, Tomoko founded Tomoko Miho Design in New York. Tomoko was a master of pulling influences from various professions, realizing ways their principles could be applied to graphic design. AIGA said that she carefully gardens every inch of graphic space, and that she would borrow three-dimensional concepts and make two-dimensional places appear larger, deeper, and more inclusive. Her designs were clever and transformed a simple flat sheet or page into a multi-layer world. She challenged the idea of what could be done with space and harmony in design. In describing her own design aesthetic, Tomoko once said, I always look at a sheet of paper or cardboard as potentially three-dimensional. So a design exists in space, not just a drawing on a board. Among her other inspirations, she counted prolific architect Frank Gehry, inventor and futurist Buckminster Fuller, who was the creator of the geodesic dome, and architect, designer, and sculptor Asami Noguchi, who was another internment camp survivor. Tomoko was especially influenced by the concept of borrowed scenery, which is a principle in Japanese garden design. This principle is to incorporate the surrounding environment, not just to recreate beauty, but to incorporate the original beauty into the area of the garden. Irving Harper, a very prolific modernist designer and one of Tomoko's mentors, admired her work and philosophy, saying that perfection was her own mandate. Her work was remarkable, clean, and beautifully pristine. One of Tomoko's gifts was the ability to see opportunity where others saw confinement and to draw on a wide range of influences to bring a variety of depth to her work. She passed away in 2012, and though she probably wouldn't take credit for it, she left behind a permanent mark on graphic design history with her elegant minimalism and clever sense of space still influencing modern catalog and corporate design today. Her work has been exhibited across the globe and now resides in the permanent collections of the Library of Congress, the Smithsonian Institution, 
the Victorian Albert Museum in London, and the Museum of Modern Art in New York. This episode was produced with the aid of a grant from the University of Central Oklahoma. Research and writing credits for this episode are from research assistant Shane Valencia, with additional research assistance provided by Kayla Sinclair. Story editing by Spencer Gee. Sound design and engineering is by the University of Central Oklahoma's Center for E-Learning and Connected Environments. Music by Christina Giacona and Patrick Conlon of Onyx Lang. If you would like to contact me about this episode or about the podcast, please email me at hello at idh.fm. That is hello at idh.fm. Our website can be found at idh.fm. You can also connect with us on Instagram at Incomplete Design History. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Incomplete Design History.